Good morning, guys. Just to let you know before I recorded this, this is like my fourth take on this. My kids, both of them, came in like two times each to say hi and say, Papa, why is the door closed? Well, what's going on in here? Uh, good morning, everybody. Hopefully, you guys are doing uh, well. Hopefully, you guys are all safe. Um, crazy times, man. Crazy times. All right. Uh, please make sure that when you're listening to this lecture um, that you also have the PowerPoint slides available. It should say Communist China 3 2020. Make sure you have that one out. And the first title slide should say Communist China Revolution and Reform. So today we're going to look at the arrival of Communist China historically, internationally, all the way through to the period of Mao Zedong. Um, so before we, we arrive to the communists, let's actually look a little bit at the context of the background, right? In history, it's always good to know what happened right before the time period. So it gives uh, a continuation. You can understand why uh, a certain period did take place. So second slide says context or background. All right. So one of the first things that we need to remember about China is that China became imperialized by the Europeans as a result of the opium wars. Uh, op the English were selling opium that they were growing from the area of Afghanistan and India into China. Remember that China was at the time in the uh, 1800s, a self-sufficient nation, meaning that they did not buy European products. They didn't want to buy European products. So the British came in and started selling them drugs, drugging them and getting them addicted to opium. This way, the Chinese would find a product they would want. And if they're addicted to it, surely they would want to buy more and more and more. When the Chinese declared war against the British because of the opium sell, the British eventually defeated China on three wars, the three opium wars. And once the Chinese were defeated, that opened up the door for European countries to come in uh, like Russia and France and England and Germany and even Japan, a copycat uh, European style imperialist Japan came in. And it's not that these nations owned the Chinese territory. What they were looking at were spheres of influence. Sphere meaning a circle or an area of influence. So if you were a Chinese person and you lived in the Japanese sphere of influence, when you went to the market to go buy a product, more than likely you had to buy a Japanese product. If you lived in the French sphere of influence, you had to buy French products. So you're a Chinese person living in your own country, but when the markets are available, you're being forced to have to buy something from a foreign country, which means that your Chinese money is not going to help the Chinese. It's going to help a foreign, um, somebody, a, a foreign country, somebody from a, a different country. And so you, you feel like your, your independence, that your land is not really yours. So in 1911, uh, the Chinese National Party ended up overthrowing the last emperor of China. And one of the main guys that you see there, Sun Yitzhen, was one of the leaders of the China's National Party or the Nationalist Party. So 1911, there's no more emperor. Right? The, it seems like, at least for many of the Chinese, that the emperor has not done a good job in stopping the Europeans from invading, taking over. There's been uh, multiple uh, revolutions. One in particular was known as the Boxer Rebellion, as Chinese people were fed up with the Europeans, and they literally rebelled to kick out the whites and attempt to kill anyone, whether they were whites or Chinese people who converted to Western religion or started dressing like Westerners. Uh, and then eventually the Europeans uh, conglomerate, a mixture of European nations came in and they put down the Boxer Rebellion. But so there's already been a history of anti-foreign, anti-imperialist sentiment or feeling within China. So 
when Sun Yat-sen and the nationalists overthrew China, uh, Sun Yat-sen set up three principles for the people, or what his government was meant to do. Number one, nationalism, get rid of foreign control. Number two, provide the people's rights, specifically democracy, that the people should have a voice. And number three, he wanted to make sure that all Chinese people were secure, specifically with economics, with money, right? provide for the people's livelihood, make sure they have a job and they're taken care of. Our next slide, you should see a man who doesn't look to be very democratic. He looks to be very militaristic with a lot of um, medals on his, uh, on his chest right? and a sword at his, uh, at his hip. That kind of gives you an idea of what this guy is supposed to be about. And that is Yan Shinkai um, and the Civil War. So you should say uh, see Yan Shikai and the Civil War as the title of the slide. So Shikai took over control in 1915. Uh, Sun Yetian was, uh, was still in power, or at least one of the members of the Nationalist Party when uh, Shikai took over in 1915. But he's supposed to be the next president of the Nationalist Party, the next president of China. But what he attempts to do is stop the democracy and create an empire under his own name, which means that once he's dead, his son would take over. It would be just like an old emperor dynastic rule, right? The father dies, the son takes over, that guy dies, and the next son takes over. And because it betrayed democracy, the people ended up revolting against him, and a civil war broke out. So you had Chinese against Chinese, uh, the Chinese Nationalist Party, who were attempting to potentially create an empire, uh, versus the Chinese who didn't want that. They wanted democracy. Uh, World War I comes around 1914 and 1918. The Chinese do declare war on Germany as an attempt, hopefully, not only to kick the Germans out of China, but if the Chinese were successful against the Germans, that the victorious nations, uh, United States, France, um, Italy, uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> and Britain would all thank China by telling the Chinese, we, we thank you so much for helping us that we are now going to evacuate China. We will leave and China can become an independent nation on their own. And that didn't happen. And so many of the Chinese people feeling offended, not only by the Western countries who did not leave, but also by the government who they felt failed in kicking out the Westerners, eventually turned against the Nationalist Party, and they started to support uh, communism, and specifically Lenin's brand of communism, not that of Karl Marx. Remember that Marx has a different view of communism than Lenin. Lenin is much more of the dictatorship under one party, dictatorship under one dictator who leads one party. Okay, so the next slide you see, this is the fourth slide. This is the Chinese Communist Party. And there you have a picture of the man who will become the future communist leader of China. And that's Mao Zedong or Mao Zedong. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party was created in 1921. It was mostly made up of university students. Uh, I think even Mao was a, a secretary or a librarian secretary at one of the universities. Um a lot of young people with radical ideas to try to overthrow the government and create some sort of a revolution based on the workers' rights. But in this case, because China is mostly peasants, um, it's going to be mostly a peasant type of, uh, of revolution. And so if you notice the third bullet point there, it says Mao believed that the peasants could be the source of true revolution. If we go back to the Russian Revolution, one of the things that Lenin believed 
was that the workers and peasants of, of Russia were too stupid to understand revolution. They were too ignorant. Uh, they were not well-versed. They were not revolutionaries. They were just farmers. And according to Lenin, revolution could not take place in an area that was backwards. Um, Karl Marx said that the, the workers will eventually figure out that they're powerful, a, a light switch will go off in their head, and they'll realize how powerful they are, and they'll start a revolution. Lenin believed that it was too difficult in Russia for the peasants to understand their power, so that's why Lenin wanted or advocated or fought for an idea that he would be the leader of a revolution, that he would take the hand of the peasants and the workers and take Russia through a revolution. Well, that's not Marxist. <clears throat> Marxism says the people will figure it out and the people will bring themselves through a revolution. Well, Mao believes, much like Lenin, that he believes more that the peasants can be the source of the revolution, but much like Lenin, it's going to be under his control, not the peasants doing it alone. But this is a quote that comes from Mao about the force of the peasants. This quote comes from um, um, an article in 1927. It says, quote, the force of the peasantry is like that of the raging winds and driving rain. It is rapidly increasing in violence. No force can stand in its way. The peasantry will tear apart all nets which bind it and hasten it to the road um, along the road of liberation. They will bury beneath them all forces of imperialism, militarism, corrupt officialdom, village bosses, and evil gentry. End quote. And notice the last part there. They will bury beneath them the forces of imperialism. Right? Communism is against imperialism. Militarism. I don't know about <clears throat> that one too much. Corrupt officialdom. That sounds like China before and even after, <clears throat> excuse me, the creation of the Chinese party. Village bosses. You had a lot of villages in China that were controlled by military lords. Because China was so vast and it was so difficult to control, you oftentimes had these like little mafia bosses that would rise up and control zones and areas. And then the evil gentry, evil peoples in, in general. All right, so it looks like he does see the, the peasants as a source of inspiration. We'll see how much he believes in that when we get a little bit later into his history. The next slide you're going to see, it says corruption and civil war. There is a picture of Zheng Zhezi or Chiang Kai-shek, as he used to be called. Uh, but if you notice, JJZ is, also looks to be very militaristic, right? Dressed in his military uniform. Doesn't seem to be all too democratic. And in 1925, Zheng Zhezi comes into power. He's a member still of the Nationalist Party. They're still controlling uh, nationalist China. Um, at that time, China was known for its corruption, that you could pay off people. Uh, the Nationalist Party was one where if you wanted a law to be passed or if you wanted maybe the government not to tax you, that's all you had to do was win favor with one of the leaders, pay them off, and you were exempt. And that doesn't sound to be democratic. That doesn't sound to be a government that puts its people uh, or the wishes of the people in front of others. In 1927, civil war broke out against or breaks out against the uh, the communists. Uh, not that the communists attempt to come to power, but Zheng Zhezi uh, feels that the communists are gaining too much power. So at first, he actually gains favor with the communists, and then in 1927, he unleashes the nationalist forces and almost kills almost all of the Chinese. And it ends, or, um, excuse me, the Chinese communists. 
And it sends the Chinese communists onto a massive walk, uh, which is known as a long march, uh, Mao's long march. They'll march out of the area where they were targeted um, in multiple cities, and they will go uh, westward. They'll cut up north. Uh, and it's something like a, a, I don't know if it's like an 11-year march to try to escape the nationalists and set up a communist headquarters in the northwesternmost portions or regions of China. And up in, in let's say, 27, 28, it's, China is going to be divided into two parts. You're going to have the communists up in the north. Not that it's an official state. It's kind of the little holding area, hangout area until they can figure out how to overthrow the government. And then the rest of China will be controlled in 1928 by the Nationalist uh, Party, or China becomes known as the uh, Nationalist Republic of China. And Zhang in 1928 becomes the president of that country. So already by 1927, 1928, there's full-on civil war in China. And if you notice here we are in the 20s, we're getting a little closer to the Great Depression and getting uh, a little closer to World War II, and that becomes important for China. If you go to the next slide, it says Civil War in World War II in 1937. The Civil War was suspended. So an entire year later, the Civil War was suspended when the Japanese invaded China. Already the Japanese in 1931 had started to conquer and take over little areas of northernmost parts of, of China, Manchuria. But in 1937, the Japanese outright invade China. And so instead of the Chinese fighting against themselves, communists versus nationalists, they call a timeout and decide that they're going to fight against the Japanese. Now, I should say when it's they fighting against the Japanese, it's really the communists fighting against the Japanese and the nationalists throwing a couple of grenades there, you know, here and there, taking a couple shots at the at the uh, Japanese. What Zhang Zhezi was hoping would happen would be that the communists and the Japanese would defeat each other. And the nationalists kind of just wait off to the side and whichever nation, whichever of the two was not defeated, they were weakened. And that would make it easier for the nationalists to eventually defeat that enemy, whether it was China, uh, the Chinese communists, or whether it was Japan, one or the other. So in 1945, World War II ends and the Chinese Civil War recommences. It starts over again. So it was just a brief pause. And if you notice the picture, there is Zhang Zhezi and uh, Mao Zedong right next to one another, right? These are enemies. Zhang Zhezi, just remember 10 years ago, tried to attempt to slaughter all of the communist Chinese, all the friends and the uh, compatriots of Mao Zedong. And there they are for a, a picture together. Remember that they did call a truce or a timeout at least to suspend the, uh, the civil war. Um, but this picture, if you notice already, Mao does not seem to be the happiest of guys. Not Number one, he doesn't smile all that often. And number two, if you were to see him smile, he has lost almost all of his teeth. This guy, Mao, the one on the right-hand side, he used to take tea leaves because he liked the taste of tea. He would take tea leaves and he would violently like brush his teeth in the morning with tea. And if you guys know, tea, coffee, it ends up staining your teeth. But with the tea leaves, the stain would retain the flavor of the tea. So every time he wanted a little flavor of tea, he would simply take his tongue and go mm -hmm, right across the front of his teeth and he could taste the tea. Uh, kind of crazy guy. He liked to he liked to go swimming in rivers that were right next to cities where the city runoff, the all the 
pollution, all the waste, all the crap and urine from the city would go into the river. And he liked swimming in that water. He liked the way it felt on his body. I don't understand that. That's, that's nuts. Anyway, so um, <laughs> 1945, World War II ends, the Civil War recommences. And then in 1948, the, uh, 49, excuse me, the Civil War ends and it is a victory for the communists. Okay, if you guys look at the next slide, you want to make sure that you have your packet readily available. We're going to give you a couple of the answers for the first section. So if you can please find this image, uh, that's Mao uh, raising his hand and it says the communist, the Chinese communist victory. If you're in your, your textbook, it's going to be under chapter eight, section three, and it should be under the same title, the Chinese communist victory. And then you should see the subtitle, How the Communists Won. All right. And then you should see the next, uh, all the titles on this um, packet are exactly the way you see them in the textbook, whether they're online or whether they're in the textbook itself. If you're in the textbook, then you want to stick specifically to page 520. That's going to give you a lot of the information for the next questions after this. So how, the, how did the communists win? So if you look at the, the next slide, the first question that you guys have to answer is what support did Mao have that allowed the communists to win? And if you press the button, if you're in full um, slide mode, if you press the button, you're going to get the answer. Uh, if you're in you know, the, the presentation where you have the presentation off to the side and um, one in front of you, you might have both answers. So there you have the answers. You can straight write them into your packet, please. It says the communists promoted literacy. They improved food production. They gave land to the peasants. It seems to be what communists do, right? And by this means, the communists won popular support or support of the peasants. Right? The peasants felt that they were disenfranchised. They felt that they were not being listened to by the Nationalist Party. They felt that um, the Nationalist Party was only interested in what the nationalists wanted. And so the communists seemed to be listening to the people. And that's why it says popular support. The word popolo in Latin means the people. So the communists won popular support because they promoted what the, uh, what the population wanted. They promoted what the main Chinese person, the peasants, wanted. Uh, second question says, why did the Chinese not support Zhang and the nationalists? And there you have the answer. The Chinese peasants felt that the nationalists were not ruling on behalf of the Chinese or supporting their wishes. The nationalist government was corrupt and they used little resources to better the lives of the Chinese people. It seems like the nationalists were only interested in their leadership positions and what the leaders could make, literally money-wise, make out of, of China. Even during the Second World War, the United States is going to give China something like $2.1 billion in aid during the war. Uh, to the nationalists. And with that money, they're supposed to buy weapons and fight against the, the Japanese. But what the nationalists did was they oftentimes pocketed that money. Once again, the nationalists were waiting that the Japanese and the communist Chinese would defeat one another and that the nationalists would just kind of wait until one was killed and the other one was weak to recommence their war. And it, it didn't work out for them. Next image you're going to see is uh, Mao Zedong. He does become the first leader of communist China in 1949. The nationalists evacuate from mainland China and they will live and they still exist in the island of Taiwan. Right? So when we think about Taiwan and China today, 
Taiwan is not part of China. It is an independent state where the nationalists escaped to. If you're a Chinese communist, you would say that Taiwan is part of China, that it does not exist, that it is a rebel state, and that it one day will become part of China. If you guys know a little bit of your sports history, anytime there is an Olympic game and Taiwan um, is wins uh, qualification for sports, China is has become so powerful today that they will not allow, they, they will advocate, they will fight with the uh, Olympic Committee to make sure that Taiwan cannot fly their national flag during the Olympic Games. So if you ever hear of Chinese Taipei in the Olympic Games, that's Taiwan. And the reason why it's called Chinese Taipei is because China, communist China, uh, it has so much pressure placed upon the international board that they will uh, boycott, uh, make it difficult for the Olympic Committee if they see Taiwan and their flag um, being flown or Taiwan being allowed into the Olympic Games under their own flag. Even if, for those of you that are baseball fans, if you guys have ever seen the uh, World Cup of Baseball, what is it, the World Classic, um, when Chinese Taipei, when Taiwan has qualified, same thing there. They have to fly a different flag when they play baseball. All right, if you notice the, uh, the next parts, these are the sections that you guys want to make sure that you continue to read in your textbook or if you have the online textbook. Um, when Mao comes into power, he is going to radically change the lives of the Chinese and not always in the better. So the question here says, what steps did the communists take to turn China into a modern industrial nation? You should find four examples. So give a, you know, it could be a couple bullet points or a bullet point under build socialism, boost agriculture. Right? So what exactly does Mao do to build a socialist or a communist state? How does Mao boost agriculture or farming? How does he increase literacy? So there might be some ideas about increased reading. And then D for women. What changed for women under the socialist state in China? And once again, you'll find that on, uh, there's a PDF that it has been attached to this lesson. You can find page 520 on the PDF and you can read it directly from there. Or once again, you can go online to pearsonrealize.com and go to topic eight, section three in the Chinese victory. And once again, just follow the headings. So you'll find this under the remaking or remaking Chinese life. The next slide, it says three and four communists take a huge, uh, communism takes a huge toll and four, the great leap forward fails. So same thing, continue reading from the PDF or online. Uh, it'll be on the same page in the PDF 520. You'll find the answers for the following questions. Who did the communists target with persecution and violence? And then the next question says, what were the results of these attacks? And then uh, part four, it says the great leap forward fails. What was the Great Leap Forward? And then what uh, were, were the effects of the Great Leap Forward? So you're just giving an indication of what it was and then what were the negative effects. It's going to be mostly negative effects. The last slide that we'll see here, well, we'll look at this next time. We'll put something together then for Thursday. Uh, failure of the Great Leap Forward. So the last questions you're looking at is the failure of the Great Leap Forward and how this affected the Chinese people. Uh, we'll look at the Cultural Revolution, which is a result of the failure of the Great Leap Forward. Um, we'll look at the Red Guard and then what actions did the Red Guard take on the Chinese people 
Uh, and then this is a really nasty story that takes place in the 60s and the 70s. And when you're finished with your, uh, your packet questions for this lesson, just please mark submit on Google Classroom. You don't have to do the homework just yet. The very last homework for this packet, you can complete if you, if you want to. I mean, if there's some questions that are on there that you like to complete, that's fine. Um, but we are going to have China the rest of this week and probably Monday, the last part, there's going to be a video that you guys are going to watch on the Tiananmen Square Massacre. And so you can either work on the homework questions progressively. So if like homework question one and two is answered off this information, you can go ahead and answer those questions. Um, and then eventually, by the time we get to Monday, you'll have all the information to answer all five or six of the questions for the last homework assignment on the packet. So for this one, I would say complete the packet work up until the Great Leap Forward fails, and then just mark submit when you're done with that. This way, it just kind of gives me an idea of who's up to speed and who still needs a little bit of time. And then on Thursday, please expect uh, the remainder of this uh, assignment. And uh, we'll continue the history of China under the communist state. Once again, guys, hopefully every single one of you is doing well. Uh, thank you so much for your responses for the little hello, how are you uh, guy um, assignment. I just want to get an idea of how you guys are doing at home, uh, what life is like for you and what this experience is like. Um, it's uh, interesting times. Uh, I'm also, I should note, I am going to be going to school some point this week, it might be tomorrow or uh, or Thursday, so Wednesday or Thursday, the 15th or the 16th. Uh, I do have some assignments that some students have told me, hey, didn't I turn this in? Hey, didn't I turn that in? So if there's something on your grade uh, program or grade book uh, on Aries that you thought you turned in or you think you turned in and you want to let me know about that, please send me a little, uh, little email or something or a little remind saying, hey, didn't I turn this in? Can you see if you could find it? Um, because this will probably be the, the only time I'm going back into school until I don't know when. So, um, yeah, if you need me to look for something, please let me know. Okay. Once again, guys, take care and I'll talk to you soon.